Welcome, friends, to Nerdy AF. This is the new extra episode where I have a special guest, or in this case, my sister, come on and geek the fuck out about something they're super excited about. Today, I'm joined by my sister, Heather, to talk about Judaism and (laughs) her decision to convert. I've known you a long time, my whole life, actually. So... I don't think I've ever seen you this excited about something, especially religion. We have kind of a eh, relationship religion growing up. so We do. And I'll go into that for a little bit. I don't know how much you've ever discussed it, but the area that we grew up in is predominantly Southern Baptist. And I'm going to preface this whole this whole dialogue here by saying not all Southern Baptists, not all Church of Christ, not all. This has been my experience with with these groups in my my hometown. They are super judgy. And our mom was raised Southern Baptist and she left the church probably before I was born or when I was little. She never took me. You know, it was always one of those things like if you want to go, I'll take you, but I'm not going. And because mom didn't like their views on the role of women in the family and in the world at large. So I didn't really grow up with that. Now, mom, and I'm one of those people like, you don't have to be religious to have morals. I don't believe that. So, you know, mom raised us knowing right from wrong and this and the other, but it wasn't ever like a pressure to go to church. And we did have some cousins that went to Southern Baptist Church every Sunday. And occasionally I would go with them. And when I would, I just had the worst experience in Sunday school because I mean, I had my little, you know, your kid's first Bible, you know, and the the stories or anything. But if I went to Sunday school and I didn't know the answers to questions, the other kids would make fun of me. Mm. And that was just not a fun thing to do. And so as I was growing up and everything, like I have some very strong opinions about racism and sexism and all the isms. You know, I've got very strong (laughs) opinions about how the world should work. And the people that were trying to get me into their churches, well, they just weren't hitting any of those buttons. Kina, how old were you when grandma and grandpa joined that cult? Uh, I was pretty young, probably like seven. Okay, so I'm I'm eight years older than Kina. And so that hit about the time when I was just ready to just walk out. But this cult, this evangelical religious cult, and I I can't even call it a denomination because it it was just kind of wild. They, our grandparents just totally went off the ranch and they would stand over us, especially our grandfather, who I grew up idolizing, would just stand over and berate me and tell me I was going to burn in hell and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I felt like religion took my grandparents away from me. And so that really definitely took the appeal from zero to like a negative 30. But as I got older, you know, I was like, I really want, I want to believe that there's more, more to life than just this, this, what we've got here. Um, And that there is a higher power out there moving things around. But I generally considered myself to be agnostic. And I joined the Unitarian Church, uh, the Unitarian Universalist Church for a while because they're very much, we believe in science. We believe in the equality of all people. We believe that women have inherent value and not just because they can have babies. And, you know, uh, we believe in a woman's right to choose and, you know, all of those things, you know, social, we believe in social justice. We fight for those things like this. These are our values. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. Like I can be down with that. And so I went and I was a Unitarian for a few years and 
but it just wasn't fulfilling any kind of spiritual need. It felt more like, hey, we're just going to hang out and we're going to talk about our values. But there really wasn't a spiritual component to it because Unitarian Universalism, and I don't know if anyone's super familiar with them, but generally it's like they believe in the path, not the destination. So it really doesn't matter if you predominantly believe in Buddhism or Judaism or humanism or any kind of whatever spiritual path you're on, they will support you as you move forward. They're not, you know, we had Wiccans that went to the UU and, uh, you know, and that was all great. Like I got to learn a whole lot about a lot of different kinds of religions, but it just wasn't clicking for me. You know how you take those little tests online and be like, what religion are you closest to? And you just answer the questions and what, what, you know, and generally mine, when I would do that, it would be like, number one, reform Judaism, number two, Unitarian Universalist, and number three would be something else. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Judaism, that, that's cool. But I didn't believe that Judaism was for me because of pop culture. When you see Jews portrayed on television, generally you think of the Orthodox Jews with the black hats and the curls and like you know, that I'm like, well, I, I can't do that. I, I'm, I can't be kosher and I, I can't, you know, do, do those things. And I really didn't look at it much further than that. And generally I, I grew up thinking you only can convert to Judaism if you're going to marry a Jewish man or, you know, so I just didn't think that was for me. And I guess it comes down to, well, anyway, let's say it is, it's a huge, it was a huge journey, right? So but I, I go to grad school and my whole life I've been a huge nerd. Gigantic nerd. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I know. A gigantic nerd. Like I grew up idolizing heroes like, uh, well, Princess Leia. I loved Superman. You know, there's a, that there's a right and wrong in the world and you choose to do the right thing. Like, that's what makes you a hero. You choose to do the right thing. You're brave, even though it scares you. So, and those kinds of values, like, I don't understand people who don't get the inherent values portrayed in Star Wars. Like, I don't understand how people can walk away from that and think diversity is awful. Like, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Does not compute. Does not compute. And I feel the same way with people who get angry about you know, like Marvel or, you know, Marvel's push to add more diverse heroes and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay, have you read the comics? They're like, get your politics out of my pop culture. I'm like, excuse me, (laughs) excuse me. Like you can go back to the first issue of Superman and it's all about politics. It's, it's all political. Like, the Captain America comics. I mean, they're all set during the Second World War. He's punching Hitler in the face. I mean, like, that is that is all politics. And so that's just like, <laughs> no, you get out of my comics because you are not understanding the lessons being portrayed here. So, yes. so, so anyway, I'm going to grad school and everybody knows that I'm a huge nerd. Huge nerd. I've, t- you know, and I, I studied rhetoric and writing in grad school. And 
you know, I was like, I want to do something related to comics. Like I want to, I want to talk about comics because everyone knew that was like my big passion. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do this. And so, so I did more comic studies. I'm like, Oh wait, all of these golden age heroes and most of the silver age heroes, because you've got Stanley and Jack Kirby doing those. Most of them are created by first generation Jews. They're from, I mean, not even that, just first generation Jews from the Lower East Side of New York. That's where comics were born. But like the, the genre tropes, right? So you've got, they all have costumes. They all have masks. They generally have a secret identity. But they, almost all of them have a selfless pro-social mission underlining all of that. So what created that? Where did that come from? Because in the 1930s, if you ask someone in New York City what great social values are, and then you ask someone and God help them, you know, Mississippi in the 1930s, you might get some very different answers on what equality means, what, you know, what, what helping the helpless, like you might get some different answers on, on those things. And so I'm like, okay, I started studying that. So I don't know if you've ever talked about the, the, like the third wave of Jewish immigration into the, into the U S not yet. Um, okay. So during that time, you get a lot of immigrants from Eastern Europe and most of them are Jews. These are the people that fought on the ground for OSHA, child labor laws, the 40 hour work week. These are the people that pushed for those social changes. And a lot of them <laughs> were labeled socialist, communist, but they just had an idea about how the world should work. And it was all based in their understanding of the Torah. Once I got to that point, I'm like, oh, okay. So these people have this kind of ideology and it came from the Torah and from the mitzvot that Adonai, which is their, you know, which is the word we use for God that told them that this is what you do. You live in the world. You act like this world is the only one you've got and you make it better. You repair the world. Tikkun Olam is a term, a Hebrew term for repair the world. And that's what you do. At that point, I'm like, oh, I got to learn more about this. I've got to learn more about this because this is kind of lining up for me. And then I went to Reform Judaism's website and I read it. It's like they are, they support women's reproductive health. They believe in science. They believe in social justice, racial equality, gender equality. They support trans and non-binary and LGBT and just the whole deal. Like, and I was like, okay. I had never felt like that before that like when I opened up this centuries old concept, I'm like, Oh, this, this speaks to me. And again, I'm going to reiterate this. I am so introverted. (laughs) I am, I am so introverted. Oh yeah. One time she wanted a welcome mat, but she didn't want it to say welcome because nobody's welcome. (laughs) That's true. I just wanted just something to say. Just, just go away. <laughs> just if you haven't texted me, don't knock. But 
I was like, okay, I really want to know more about this. Like this speaks to me. I, I need to know more about this. So I emailed the rabbi <laughs> and he emailed me right back. And I belong to a congregation in Little Rock, Arkansas, a congregation of B'nai Israel. And my rabbi is named Barry Block. But I emailed him, just cold called him. Well, cold emailed him. I mean, that's that's more introvert for me. But anyway, I, <laughs> I emailed him and he emailed me right back. And he's like, that's great. You know, I told him I was interested in converting and, you know, and I wanted to know how to get that started. And he's like, that's great. That's great. He's like, well, I'm in Israel right now. <laughs> and, but he said, he'll be back. He goes to Israel, I think once or twice a year to study. But anyway, he, he said, the first thing you have to do is start attending temple services. And I was like, oh, oh, I thought there was like a dip your toe in situation as opposed to <laughs> just you jump right in. And so it took me a, a couple of weeks. I asked some people if they would go with me because, again, super introverted. And this is when I knew this is when I knew that this was something I really wanted, that it wasn't just a like a a fling of an idea that would dissipate is the first time I went to services, I did go by myself. I just couldn't line it up with any of my friends. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. So I did. And it was, it was, it was amazing. Like I went and the first woman I met, her name is Trudy. She is just fantastic. Just so extroverted. Like you could not have a better person at the front door to welcome you. And she, you know, invited me in, got me a name tag, introduced me around to a few people. Our temple has what's called Oneg Shabbat, which is generally like a little conversation, uh, a little wine, a little holla before the services start. So, you know, they kind of walked me around and I didn't have any wine. I'm not a big wine drinker, which, you know, walked around a bit. I got to meet the rabbi's dad. He had me sit next to him during the service, and it was just all very, very, very welcoming. And so I started doing that. So that's step one. I think most, and again, this is reform Judaism. There are other movements, either conservative in this country, generally, there's reform Judaism, I think is the largest movement in this country. There's conservative Judaism, which the name's a little bit of a misnomer. They're not super conservative. They are a liberal branch of Judaism, but they're called conservative. It's a little bit of a mind blower for me when the rabbi explained <laughs> that. And then you've got the Orthodox Jews that tend to, you know, they're the ones in the hats and the curls and, uh, you know, they're more, well, those are, those are ultra Orthodox Jews. Let me back. That, that's ultra Orthodox, but generally Orthodox Jews are, I don't want to say each group is con, is observant in their own ways and they each have their own rules about it. But the strictest rules are for the Orthodox and the super Orthodox. So, yeah. So that's step one. You start attending the services to get to know, because what I learned is that Judaism is not just a religion. It is a community. And so you have to become a part of that community. And so one of the other things you have to do to convert is you have to take a class. Some places call it Introduction to Judaism. Our temple calls it Judaism 101. <laughs> but you take it. And what they do, like the first half of it, describes Judaism as a religion. 
And then the second part of it is the history of the Jewish people. I found that to be novel. And I know Judaism is not the only one that do it. I know converting to Catholicism mm-hmm. is, a, is a process. Mm-hmm. But I also know that for some some Christian denominations, if you go to their tent revival, they will baptize you before yeah. the end of the night. So this was very much like you have to know what it is you're getting into. <laughs> what, what are you getting yourself into? They want you to know that. Plus, mm-hmm. the class, like my class started in like August or September of 2019. And then you have to go to you have to attend a year's worth of Jewish holidays. And there are a lot of them. Yeah, the- but <laughs> like I said, I'm a huge introvert. Like this was very uncomfortable for me, but I stuck it out. I knew that this was the place for me because Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the high holy days for the Jewish people, and they occur in the in the fall. It's just days and days and days of celebrating and then atoning. I mean, basically, it's like you repent and then you atone. And Yom Kippur, um, if you don't recognize it, Yom Kippur is the day of fasting. So you fast from sundown to the next sundown. And that, that's your atonement. If you've seen Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, they, they show them doing that. And then the stampede of everybody to the food when it was over. And that's, that's not, that's <laughs> true to life. That's true to life. And then Sukkot trails right on the end of that. And Sukkot is the one where you build the sukkah. You build the um, the tent outside with the open to the open to the sky, and then you're supposed to eat your meals and live in in the sukkah. So all of those holidays just came back to back to back. I was at the temple probably more than I was at work. It felt like it. There were so many people, so many people, but I did it. I made it through. I had to take a day off of work after it was all over just to like decompress because it was really stressful being around that many strangers, that many people I didn't know, but I I wanted it really badly. So again, like that's how I'm judging myself as I'm going through this process because, you know, as the rabbi told us when we started, he's like, you guys may all plan to convert. He's like, but some of you may not at the end of it. And he's like, and that's okay. You know, it, it's not for everyone. So, but I made some very good friends during the Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur thing. And now like Will and Lori, they went through the conversion classes with me. We converted together. And so, you know, now they're, they're two of my absolute closest friends. We finished, I finished my conversion in May of last year. So that's post COVID. Okay, so you take the class and everything, and then at the end of it, you have to write, initially you have to write an essay about why you want to be Jewish, and then at the end, you have to write an exam, like a college, like a freshman level, you know, written exam about, you know, what's the Jewish view of God, what Jewish holiday appeals to you the most, and why, like, you know, what Jewish life cycle event did you find most moving and, you know, and things like that. So you had to answer those questions and the rabbi and there's a, a rabbinic council, which is called the Beit Din. They judge those and then you have to meet with the Beit Din and they ask you questions about, you know, why you want to be a Jew and this, that and the other. And then once you're through with the Beit Din, you're supposed to go to the mikvah. 
Now, the mikvah is a ritual bath. I think it's probably very similar to a baptism, but I've never done that. So I thought you had done the baptism. Oh. I had not done it. I've, I've never been baptized in a Christian church. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did in high school. I was a little yeah. different. I didn't start going to church until all my friends in high school were. <laughs> yeah. See, I was never a joiner. Of course, none of my friends went to church either. So, you know, just different, <laughs> different generation. But so we were supposed to go to the mikvah. But there's only one mikvah in Little Rock, and it wasn't at our congregation. It was a congregation, Aguda Hakim, and they were closed too. So we decided we just needed fresh water. Like the congregation in Fayetteville, Arkansas, goes to one of the lakes up there and, you know, uses that as their mikvah. We, we just needed fresh running water. This was in May. Keep in mind that outside water is still cold. It's May. <laughs> But we did. We went and had our mikvah at Lake Hamilton in Hot Springs. My friend Lori owns a lake house down there. And we went and climbed down off the, her pier <laughs> into the water. And, you know, we said our little blessings. You had to dunk yourself three times. And each time you came up, you had to say a new, another, a different Hebrew blessing. And then when you got up, you were Jewish. I have my little conversion certificate hanging on the wall over here. And then you get to pick your own Hebrew name, which is used in ceremonies. And that's why I've got a name in parentheses up here. Leah is my Hebrew name. I picked it because I feel like, one, I feel like Star Wars is kind of where I got off on this journey about the values that you can pull out of pop culture. I feel like that's kind of what what did that for me. Also, when I was in my... I guess right about the time I turned 30, Tina, correct me on this. Right about the time I turned 30, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Yeah. And as many people know, Carrie Fisher also had bipolar disorder and she talked a lot about it. And her memoirs and the books that she wrote and that gave me a lot of hope that I could live a normal, a relatively normal life, you know? And so I always joke about it. It's like, you know, she saved. You know, she she launched my dreams when I was a little kid because I was six months old when Star Wars came out. I've never <laughs> known a world without it. Right. So yeah. Star Wars, you know, with Princess Leia. And then again, she saved my life as an adult when I was struggling with my bipolar diagnosis. Oh, shit. You're making me emotional. <laughs> plus, plus Carrie Fisher. Cry. Her dad was Jewish. Like, you know, she wasn't raised Jewish, but she did have Jewish heritage. So, yeah. So that's how I picked my Hebrew name. Uh, But you get to pick your own. I also had to take Hebrew classes, beginning Hebrew. It's really hard. (laughs) It's it's hard because I don't know if anyone's seen Hebrew script, but it's, it's, you know, it's not Arabic letters, you know. It's read right to left. Even like all of the prayer books at the temple, they open right to left. So it looks like you're holding the book upside down um, or you're holding the book backwards. Lots of the prayer books, like if you ever open a, like a reform prayer book, you've got like the top. The Hebrew would be like right here. Then over here is the transliteration. So the transliteration is English. But it's how it, how the Hebrew letters sound. 
Oh, okay. And then across the bottom is the actual translation that tells you what you're saying in English. Oh, okay. Most of the temple services that I go to are generally about 50-50 English, Hebrew. And like if you had services during the week, there's prayers and blessings and things that you're asking God to do and this, that, and the other. But during Shabbat services, you just leave the blessings in, but you leave the things out that you're asking God to do because it's his day of rest too. So you're not asking him to do anything on Shabbat. I mean, that's thoughtful. Yeah. Big guy needs a day off too. Yeah. Big guy needs a day off too. So you don't ask him for things on Shabbat. You ask him for things on, on other days. Well, it was just Purim. Would you want to tell them about how fucking cool that holiday is? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, Purim is a very festive holiday in the lead up to Passover because Passover is a more somber holiday. But Purim is the story of Queen Esther, or sometimes she's known as Hadassah. She married a king, and I I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. But he didn't know she was Jewish. Meanwhile, his chief advisor, whose name's Haman, He has a plan to kill all the Jews. And so Esther makes a plan of her own to save the Jewish people through party, what the rabbi called too drunk fest when he was telling (laughs) the story the other night. So Esther gets the king on her side and then exposes the plot. And Haman is either put to death or banished. I, I can't remember right offhand. It was so loud during the Megillah reading, like, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. So anyway, but Purim is like a super festive holiday because like many Jewish holidays, they kind of go out like they tried to kill us. It didn't work. Let's eat. Like that's most of, of the Jewish holidays. So the rabbi read what's called the Megillah and the Megillah is basically the scrolls of Esther, but most temples will put a little little fun into it. Like they'll do a play and the play will be like off the rails and just whatever, whatever. But the rabbis, the old rabbis, ancient rabbis said that we're supposed to drink until we can't tell the difference between good and evil. So in order to facilitate that in the care package, we all did it on Zoom and the care package they sent me, it had a bottle of rum in it. <laughs> like, here you go. Have fun with that. You're also supposed to uh, supposed to eat like hamantashen, which are cookies in the shape of a triangle that have some kind of filling in the center. Um, if I had not eaten all of them, I would show one to you, but I, I've already eaten those. Um, <laughs> so I take it they turned out good. They turned well. Mine didn't turn out so great. Mine kind of spread out, but the Jewish ladies at the temple made two and put them in my care package, and and that was pretty good. Like most Jewish holidays have it like a charity component. So one of the mitzvot or commandments, you know, mitzvot is, is a word for commandments. We're supposed to give to charity. We're supposed to share food. Other thing, another part about Purim is the costumes. <laughs> and my rabbi, he looked like a wizard. He was wearing some kind of crazy wizard hat and then a crossing guard vest. And then somebody else on the Zoom call was wearing like a luchador mask. <laughs> and uh, it was so funny. So my friend Will, he came over to celebrate Purim with me. And he texted our rabbi during the service. 
he's like, you're, you're a wizard, Mary. And he's like, do you, do you think he'll get that? And I'm like, well, he has kids the right age. I'm sure he'll get the Harry Potter reference. And he did. We caught him laughing while he was reading his phone um, during the Zoom. Oh, and then the, the lead musician was dressed up like a pirate. It was kind of great. Like, I, I don't ever want to come across as like an expert on Judaism, because obviously I am not. I'm still a baby Jew. And it's one of those like Judaism is always growing. It's always changing. It's always there's always something new to learn. And one of the other things I really love about it is that it is dialectical, which dialectical means that it's debatable. The rabbis still debate the meaning of the Torah. We are instructed to study the Torah every year. So every year we read through the entire Torah. Each week we're given a Torah portion and we study it and we have classes. And the meaning can be debated. Like none of the rabbis are just like, no, this is what it means. No, we're allowed to ask questions. And I kind of love that because a lot of, you know, my previous religious experience was this is the word of God. This is it. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, and Judaism's not like that. And her rabbi even told us starting out that Judaism is a religion created by rabbis. You know, they don't claim to, for this to be the absolute word of God. They're like, this is a man-made religion. The rabbis made this. I kind of love that too. You know, that it's, that it's open to interpretation, that it, that it's that it that it grows. It grows to meet the needs of the Jewish people, and that makes sense why it would really appeal to you. I mean, Mom did such a good job with us, despite all the circumstances. But we were always taught to like ask questions and to read and to look things up and want to learn. And we're both huge ass nerds, but we've always both of us been interested in history. Like you did history for undergrad, and it's like we've always wanted to know more. I mean, there there's so many takeaways for Judaism for me, but one of the bigger ones too is that Judaism is a religion of action, right? We have the mitzvot that we are supposed to do. We have basically we have a to do list. God gave us a to do list, and whereas Christianity in most iterations is a religion of belief. Like you believe that Jesus, you know, died for your sins, then you're saved. Mm. And that's, that's all that's necessary. Well, for Jews, it's not like that. And for Jews, it's definitely like this, this life, this point that you're at, you know, this lifetime is what's important, not the rewards that you may or may not receive. Mm. It's what you do here and now that's important. And I kind of love that too, because I don't know, I had, I had a real issue growing up with the idea that, you know, you could just all of a sudden, quote unquote, find, find Jesus. Like, have you found Jesus? And I always be like, I don't think he's lost, but you know, like, (laughs) but I'll say this for people that devoutly believe in Christianity and live those values. Oh, I'm not yeah. talking about the people that don't live those values, but the people mm. that live those values, I've got all the respect in the world for those people because Judaism's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't like, and Jews generally don't 
try to proselytize. It's not really something that they do. But part of that, too, they were murdered for trying to convert people to Judaism for hundreds of years. Yeah. And so they tend to not proselytize. And for a long time, you know, converts were not really celebrated. It was more like a hush-hush kind of thing. Like, we're not going to advertise this, you know. But, you know, especially Reform Judaism is really moving towards converts should be celebrated. People that choose to live a Jewish life should be celebrated just as we would celebrate anyone else. And I think that's, I think that's great. So I'm, I'm not kosher. I've considered it. It's, it's a very difficult road to hoe. So in the different groups of, of Judaism, like the Orthodox Jews, they are kosher. Like they follow all of the meats vote as best they can. Conservative Jews generally are kosher. I know if you convert through the conservative movement, I'm pretty sure they do a home inspection to make sure that your kitchen is kosher. Oh, wow. Because you have to have like separate plates, separate pans. Basically, you know, meat and dairy cannot touch. So, yeah, so they, they do home inspections for stuff like that. Reform Jews. And now it, it, it always irritates me when I, you know, like Jewish groups on Facebook and they're like, Reform Jews aren't observant. Well, that's not necessarily true. That, I mean, that's not true. Reform Judaism believes and they want each member to study and learn the meets vote and then decide which of those have meaning for you. And then that's what you do. Those are the ones that you follow, the ones that give meaning to your life. Oh, okay. Conservative Judaism, they're kind of the same thing, but they do it collectively. So they don't follow all of the meets vote, but the conservative movement as a group have decided which meets vote they follow. Reform Judaism, you decide that on an individual basis. You know, I, I kind of enjoy the individuality of it. Yeah. Like right now, it's it's still Shabbat. Right? It's not it's not sunset yet. Most strictly observant Jews would not be on a computer right now. Some of them won't even turn on light switches because that's kindling a flame. Uh-huh. And you're not supposed to do that on Shabbat. Now for me, when I talk to the rabbi about it, he's like, you decide what is work for you and then you don't do it. So if I have to work over the weekends with my job, I don't do it on Shabbat. I try not to do laundry on Shabbat. I try not, I try to do enjoyable things on Shabbat. I try to read. I try to relax. Um, I'll watch WandaVision for the third time because I've already watched it twice. <laughs> you know, Friday morning, first thing. And then, you know, maybe I'll watch again or, you know, just I try to do some enjoyable things. How are they going to wrap that up in an hour? I feel like there's a lot more story to tell, but I I know they're wrapping it up next week. Oh, I know. I've really been enjoying the the theories and no, then no spoilers, Kena. No oh no, spoilers! But I also yeah. been enjoying the people that have been going back and doing like just in case you haven't read the comics. But yeah, yesterday it was a bunch of history people were popping up being like let's not forget that she was a romani jew in the comics and you know her dad survived the holocaust and 
So they were also like, just think about all this, you know, symbolism. The X-Men comics have been real. Okay. So I haven't kept up with them completely. I started reading Hickman's new, when he broke off the X-Men do it thing, the house of house of X power of 10. Like I read those. And so, but I think at this point, not that her Romani Jewishness, or maybe just the Jewishness part. I don't think she's supposed to be Magneto's daughter anymore. Like that's the no. predominantly like, you know, the the long time storyline. But yeah, I don't that think she's like, supposed to be anymore. That broke like five or so years ago, didn't it? When they went the witch route, she wasn't a mutant; she was a mutate or something. Yeah, and that the Scarlet Witch. She's not the first Scarlet Witch. She's mm-hmm. one of you know, many. So I fell behind on that, that X-Men series. But I do remember reading like, I don't know if you've read a Keenan, but like Hickman's got like a bunch of notes down the side of it. And I mean, it's the, I mm-hmm. thought the series was amazing and a great way to relaunch the X-Men. But cause they did mention house of M in it where she decimated the mutants, but she was not considered a mutant at that point. They, she was like one of the top five enemies of mutant kind. I don't know. I, I kind of, I kind of want her to be a mutant. I, you know, I just, and I, I want her to be a Jew, but I know that, well, I don't know this. I've read that like in, was it civil war where you got to see her house or her, her room at the Avengers compound that she had a cross on the wall. So that's not Jewish. Oh, well, so, I need to rewatch that, but I did. I haven't rewatched it. Civil War breaks my heart. So I've only watched mm-hmm. it like twice out of all of the, the MCU movies. Like I just want everybody to get along. Like yeah. please, please don't fight each other. And um, cause it's hard. Cause I, I like Tony, but you know how I feel about Steve. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. That's like a very sweet, like full circle. I just love that comic books is what kind of led you to this. And yeah, it, it really did. Yeah, tell everybody about your thesis. I don't think you actually said what it was. Oh, okay. So my thesis, once I get it written, <laughs> it's called Heroes of the Lower East Side, How Jewish Rhetoric Created a Comic Book Genre. So basically, it's it's about the culture of Judaism that was, you know, the hotbed of creating those comics. Because even though, like... Siegel and Schuster, like they didn't live in New York. They they grew up in Ohio, but they did move to New York when they started, when they sold Superman. Like, so they did that. Like Bob Kane and Bill Finger and Stanley and Jack Kirby and, oh, Joe Simon. And I know I'm missing a bunch, but, you know, they were all, you know, Jew, Jewish first generation or first generation Jewish Americans born to Jewish immigrants that grew up on the Lower East Side of New York. Some of them went to the same high school. And, you know, that community created these heroes that have far outlasted their creators. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just about every superhero you can think of was created created and these were these were also jewish publishers because you know they were cheap the these jewish writers and creatives couldn't get jobs at newspapers and magazines because they were jewish so these 
Jewish publishers were like, okay, we're going to, we need, because they were, they were putting out pulp comics, right? That they were just re, they were just bundling newspaper strip, comic strips and rebundling and selling those for like 10 cents or whatever. And, but then they needed new content because they'd run out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, they started doing that. And then of course in 1938, that's when Superman hit, hit the pages and, you know, Bob's your uncle, right? <laughs> straight, straight on through. I mean, I think the only one that you could really say wasn't created by a Jewish person would be Wonder Woman. But nearly all of the rest, the, the infamous famous ones, you know, from the, the Golden Age and the early Silver Age. Because just think about all the characters that Stanley and, and Jack Kirby created. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, because like let's say Magneto, he wasn't Magneto as we know him in X-Men number one in, in 63, I think. So, you know, he wasn't that then. But then Chris Claremont, who's also Jewish, he's the one that gave him the Holocaust backstory, I believe. And then that gives it some more more pathos right like giving and that's what i love about stuff not all all, not all of the villains at marvel at marvel are great some of them are kind of (laughs) weak but i like the villains that have some kind of pathos where you can go oh yeah i can see why he's upset i can understand why he's doing these things and i think Mm -hmm. setting magneto up as a holocaust survivor was a very i thought that was a great great storyline i feel the same way about what they did with Killmonger in the Black Panther movie, you know, setting up his backstory to where, you know, when he's talking about why didn't the Wakandans come and help during the slave trade and, you know, throughout the history of the United States, why did you just leave us here? And, you know, like, you you have a point. Like, so, you know, I, I like those kinds of things where, you know, where the villains have a, a good, good jump off point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the thesis is like a perpetual weight on my shoulders trying to, to get it, to get it done. But I think it's interesting. Ooh, me too. I think a lot of people will agree that that's a really cool topic. I have that, um, uh, what is it called? Imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and my professors and my, you know, thesis chair, you know, she's like, Heather, you know more about comics than most people. She's like, you just need to sit down and write it. And then I sit down and it's like uh, the blank page. Like, I just can't, can't get it out. But yeah, me too. know more than the average person. She actually used to come to the library and do like presentations for my kids. You did one really good one on like race and diversity. Yeah, I'm excited. Like this is like I'm living my best life right now because we get <laughs> we get Marvel every week. Like I'm ready for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then after that it'll be Loki, and then oh my god, the Hawkeye series. Like I'm so ready for that. <laughs> Miss Miss Marvel. I'm excited as hell for that series. Oh, I, I love I, that comic. I love this Marvel comic so much. I am so excited. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm not going to spoil like a, you know, 10 year old comic, but I hope they don't make her an inhuman. 
I hope they just let her be a mutant because I don't want the Inhumans to make another attempt into the MCU because the attempt to put them on Marvel TV was so bad. Yeah, I never watched that because you were like, no. (laughs) It was so bad. I didn't finish it. Mm. And generally, I'll stick things out to the end, but yeah, it was so bad. If you don't know who Miss Marvel is, she's the first Pakistani-American superhero, and she kind of accidentally turns into Captain Marvel because she can shapeshift and stuff. It's such a good comic. But it's like the comic, especially, you know, in the beginnings, it really does delve into her Muslim culture, Mm -hmm. which I think that was a very welcome look for a lot of people that don't know a whole lot about about Muslim families in this country. Mm -hmm. And so it was I thought it was great. I was very excited. Yeah, Um, especially because when they started naming off all those those series. And then they got to the end. I'm like, okay, that's all. That's all real great. But where's my incredible Squirrel Girl or unbeatable <laughs> Squirrel Girl comic? Like, where, where comic series? Where's that? Well, I saw Anna Kendrick was like, give that role to me. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm just like, uh, Squirrel Girl is, she's just, she's just the bee's knees. Yeah, like the first comic that she beats, she beats Thanos. She like tricks him. Like she's. She just she just outsmarts them all and but she's just so happy. (laughs) And sometimes you need comics that are just happy. I know, she's just like, I'm cute and I'm chubby and I just want to go to college, leave me alone. Like Well, she's chubby because she shoves that squirrel tail down the back of her pants (laughs) because she's she's talking about how, you know, she's real shapely in there. I'm like, Yeah, it's because you got a tail shoved in there. Yeah. It's a great comic. Highly recommend. It's very wholesome. Yeah. I kind of took us off the farm there. Sorry. That's okay. I derail <laughs> all the time. Yeah. If anybody has any questions, please ask them. And, Kina, if you get a lot of questions after you put it up for regular, then, you know, I can always come back and answer, answer more because, again, like, I didn't really have anything planned out. I just... That's all off the top of my head. This is why you're the genius in the family. I might have been the outgoing one, but you're the smart one. So the trade off. (laughs) You know, I don't know that that's true, but I remember mom recently was telling me that when I finally got to high high school, Mr. Hulse was like, Oh, is she like a genius like her sister? And mom was like, Don't you dare put that on her. And I was like, Damn it, mom, that means you didn't think I was the smartest (laughs) other. Uh, 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 I was like, I, it's fair. I'd try harder to be quote unquote smart. I yeah, struggled. but I think I think part of it too is like I've struggled outside of education, but I think that's because I didn't have to get my shit together when I was when I was in high school. So I mean, I don't don't discount what you learned during the struggle because mm-hmm. you know we all have to figure it out i just didn't do it as well when i was in college is that oh, mom that's mom <laughs> mom in the comments um, hi mom hi mom <laughs> she says that wasn't it i didn't want to be constantly compared to your sister and that's true it was a small ass school like 
I graduated 28. I think you had a little bit more than that in your class. Uh, I think 31. Yeah. So we had the wow. same teachers, same principal, same everything. So everybody, everybody knew us. But yeah, we were very different. So it confused them, I think. But it was just, I, I went the more extroverted route. I had friends. Well, no, I wanted to be a cheerleader and I wanted to oh, be okay. popular. And yeah. Yeah. I was, I was a band geek. <laughs> I was the head band geek. I was the drum major. Like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go that direction, go all the way, I guess. Well, thank you for being my first guest on this nerdy AF thingamajig that I decided to do. <laughs> you're very welcome. Uh, we got to geek out about comics and religion. Yeah. Two things that always mix. <laughs> in this case, they do. And as you know, in, in the comics, like, it had a little bit of everything that we love, all us nerds. Yeah. Someday, when Comic-Cons are a thing again, we will all nerd out together. You know, when, if ever, the post-COVID times arrive, I do want you to come visit me, Kina, and we can go. I'll take you to Shabbat Services at the temple. Oh, yeah, that'd be really cool. And then you get, like, the full experience. Like, one of the most important meets vote, or, yeah, one of, one of the most important meets vote for Jews is to protect life, right? So we're not going back to the temple <laughs> anytime soon because protect life. That's so. The last thing we did before the temple closed last year was Purim. So now it has oh, been a yeah. full. It's been a full year since we've celebrated in person, and yeah. like we have no plans to go back at any point so far. This was really fun. Thank you for coming on. You're so This smart. was really fun. I yeah. would be happy to come back if you ever want to talk about anything else. Ooh, you, know, you should come back and do nerdy. the diversity chat thing. That was so cool. Like the yeah. women and race and comics. So. Yeah, I think I can do that. I think I still have all those those um, talking points. Yeah, we can do that. And then... <clears throat> Once we get some more details about this new Superman movie that Ta-Nehisi Coates is writing, along with J.J. Abrams, there's rumors going around that it's going to be a black Superman. Ooh. I think that would be kind of awesome. So let's wait till, till we hear some more stuff about it. But I can't imagine that they wouldn't try that. Because DC is leaning really hard into their multiverse of movies. Mm -hmm. So I think... I think that might be part of their multiverse. And well, just I saw the, they just casted the new Supergirl is Latina. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. But that's still in like the main continuity of the mm -hmm. DC movies. But I think whatever they do, I don't know. It's neither here nor there about whether or not Henry Cavill will get another shot at being Superman. And I'm with your person who just commented that uh, doesn't want to see doesn't want to see any more Superman or Batman movies. Like, I'm not quite to that point, but it better be interesting. Like, yeah. I'm not excited about the Justice League four-hour movie. Like, I'm just not excited about it because I don't feel like, and I, I don't want to be like, let's bash Zack Snyder because I don't want to do that. But I, I don't feel like he really understands Superman. And so that discolors the whole the whole movie for me and you know people are like you can't do superman in today's world it just doesn't work it just doesn't work i'm like you hey but marvel's doing captain america 
and that's the same same character type. Mm-hmm. And they did it really well. Marvel did Captain America really well. So why can you not do Superman really well? DC just really struggles. Like I thought they really nailed it with Wonder Woman, but 1984 just kind of like it I, didn't. Do I it didn't care. Me. It didn't do it for me either. And the new Batman kind, I, I, I do. I will watch the new Batman. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, if we're back in theaters by then, I'll go the first weekend. If it's on HBO Max, I'll watch it the first day it drops. I will not do the same thing for Justice League. Oh yeah, same desire. I will. <laughs> I might watch it, but you know, the next day Falcon and the Winter Soldier drops on Disney Plus. So like <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> busy. Yeah, DC is just not figured out. Their cartoons, on the other hand, I feel like they're animated. Oh, the Harley Quinn cartoon yeah. is so good. Yeah. If I think anybody they is that. a fan, if anybody is a fan of superhero comics or they loved Batman the animated series and you don't mind just uncapped profanity and over the top cartoon violence. Like the Harley Quinn series is. That's what we should do. That should be a new Patreon thing. We should all watch it with you because you're trying to make me watch it and I want to watch it. So we should watch it. <laughs> we should. Like <laughs> that should be, that should be nerdy, nerdy AF. Let's just watch a whole bunch of. <laughs> nerdy shit and then talk about it because yeah like yeah because i haven't been that big into animation like recently even though dc does animation way like marvel's animation i'm just like eh. yeah but no the harley quinn like first first scene and i was like oh i'm in like this <laughs> is this is this is great i'm in <laughs> and it just got better from there and what's great is because because of the animation, they can put whatever character they want in there. They're like they're like pulling characters that you know that I know they're real. I know they're real characters, but they're ridiculous. And oh, that would be so much fun! Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll figure out a time that works, and we can make it make it happen. Then yeah. we could just geek out and talk about it. Oh. That's right. Yay! Yay! Great idea. Love yes. it. I have them occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Heather, a.k.a. my sister, for joining me for the first ever Nerdy AF. If you want to geek out with me for one of the future episodes, shoot me an email, historicalafpod at gmail.com. If you have a great idea or a great story and you don't want to be on camera, go ahead and just send that to me for an extra AF episode. Again, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out the website, historicalafpodcast.com for merch, Patreon information, all that good stuff. And again, if you want to join Patreon and be able to chat along and watch live, that's historical. Nope. <laughs> That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. All right, friends. I'll see you next time. Okay, bye.